Yeah, so I think um, short of the number one reason systems fail is lack of maintenance. Number two is going to be you've got an overload. Water overload, it's going to be groundwater infiltration, um, and potentially it could be overload from the house, but less likely. It's going to be water's getting in somewhere that it shouldn't. Okay. Uh, the system is designed to treat household waste, and that's it. Hey, you're listening to the Welcome to Camano Island podcast, presented by the Camano Chamber of Commerce. Tune in as we keep you up to date with events, the ins and outs of living on an island, and hearing from different people in our community. Whether you just moved here, been an islander for many years, or are just visiting, join us as we explore that easy island together. Welcome to Commando Island, listeners. Today I'm here with the owners of Envirotech Septic Services. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Alan and Jen Chapin. Hello. Awesome. So before we get started, tell us a little bit about your guys' selves. Would you add? Go for it. Um, we, we moved to the island in, what, 2000? 2000. Yeah, yep. 2000. And when we drove right onto the island, we were like, well, I don't know about you, but I knew that I asked for a kayak. I knew this was home, but I said, hey, I'll move to the island if you get me a kayak. I got the island and the kayak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And where were you guys moving from? Puyallup. Puyallup, yeah, we yeah. came up from Oregon. Okay. And we stayed a short time, a couple of years in Pialp, and then we moved up this direction because of job opportunities for Alan. Okay. Yeah. Same line of business. Okay. Nice. So you had come from this world then to begin with? Yes. Okay. Awesome. Um, so what was the island like for you guys when you first moved here in the early 2000s? Well, let's say this. There was no, no traffic lights. lights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot less people. A lot less people, no lights. Yeah. You know, it was, seemed to be at a little bit slower pace. Yes, yes, I know you, where you're at. Uh, we, we moved here in 95. Okay. Uh, and we moved from Tucson, Arizona, so a big city. And um, my dad was always like, why does everything close at like 7 here? Like you drive through Stanwood and it was dead. No lights, everything was closed. And yeah, that was a big change. <laughs> so. All right, so then um, you guys moved to the island. And um, when you guys moved to the island, what were th some things that you guys didn't necessarily expect moving to an island? The driving distance to anything. Mm -hmm. One way off. Yeah. But I loved it. Back then, everybody would wave. Like, if they were on the road, everybody would wave. Yeah. <laughs> so I did like that part of the community. Yeah. Yeah. Is there any other surprises for you, Alan? Uh, being out on the island? No, I don't, I don't really think so as far as... When we moved here. We came from a small town originally in Oregon, so it was okay. kind of like going back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not used to being around the, you know, the waters and the, you know, the different things that they had here. So, you know, that was, it was enjoyable to see the wildlife and everything else when we moved here. Yeah, I remember that. It was like the first few days you went at work and then Brian and I, Brian was really little, like four years old. And I said, let's go have a break. And we went down to the park, and there goes a whale about 20 feet in front of us. Wow. I'm like, we are home. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. No, and, and some of that's coming back. A lot of the whales, have, you know, the pods, mm -hmm. some of the pods have made home right around here again. And It's um, great to see. Yeah. It's exciting. Exciting place to be right now. Um, uh, look, thinking back on your time moving here then, 
Um, was there any information that you feel like was would have been helpful to have known prior to movement of the island? Well, he knew a lot about septic, so that wasn't a question for us, but I think that probably would be a big question to a lot of people coming on. Um, maybe about the dynamics of the local governments, you know, being separated by, would be in Camino Island, but being, you know, one community. Mm -hmm. um, that would be great information to know coming on the island. And then, of course, we're all in aquifers. Yeah. So it's not like move up from California and water your lawns here. It's you're using your neighbor's water as well. Yeah. Yeah, I remember uh, we had a few summers growing up where there was droughts or at least semi droughts, you mm -hmm. know, Washington droughts. And, um, you know, they were telling everyone, like, slow down your water usage, make sure you're not, you know, take short showers, turn the water in between. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a different way of thinking. Yeah, because the aquifers don't fill up overnight for a rain. Mm -hmm. That's not how people think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of having, like, any of the utilities aspect of it. Mm -hmm. um, any, I mean, septic is, is probably the biggest example of that, but not having infinite of anything. Like, nothing's infinite, but, like, in a city, right. you kind of, you don't think about it. You're like, yep, right. I can throw this down the drain, I can do whatever I want. It doesn't probably affect you, even if it does down the road. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so, Awesome. Very cool. What is your guys' favorite part about living on Camino? Scenery and the wildlife. Yes. For sure. Yeah. That's yeah, we live by parks, and to be able to walk out your door and, and just go watch the sunset, it's pretty amazing. And in my case, the sunrise. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll take the sunset. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm usually not up by sunrise. Actually, I guess during this time of year, it, it's not as difficult to be up during summer. Right? Yeah, during the summer when it's 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yes, that's a little different. Yeah. All right, very cool. Um, well, you guys have kind of mentioned it already, but yeah, that's a big piece of why we wanted to bring you guys onto the Welcome to Camino Island podcast is because people that are moving to the island that have moved from the city or from a regular old septic system, or not septic, but sewer system, um, there's a lot of ins and outs of septic. You're a lot more <laughs> in charge of your own things that are going wrong. So, um, so we want to start off with um, what, uh, let's see, um, for people who haven't ever used or had to deal with septic systems, um, what would be your advice for these type of people? So probably the big thing, the number one thing is to, um, Maintain it, know where the components are, get familiar where all your septic components are so that you don't inadvertently cover them or damage them. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of, you know, people that are wanting to irrigate and so they'll bring in landscapers and just not familiar and they'll destroy things. Uh -huh. And so we fixed a lot of things that landscapers you know, not unintentionally have destroyed, but knowing where your components are and maintaining the system are probably the two big things. And yeah. You can definitely find that through, you know, a trusted, you know, company by asking them, hey, can you get my as-built? That's the drawing of your septic. Mm -hmm. Or going straight to the county and asking them. Yeah. Um, so just for people who, I want to take it back even further, what does maintaining it mean or what does that look like for so a big thing is for maintaining is just um, one trusting in the professional and maintaining. So the home side of it, as far as the homeowner who has a septic, the home side of it is how to properly use the system, what goes in the system, 
Um, so they're doing their part by just being aware of their water use mm -hmm. and as well as what goes into it. You know, there are things in the do's and don'ts of septic and what you shouldn't put in there, the chemicals, cleaning products, um, medications. You know, there's a lot of things that happen, you know, inside the home that actually are, you know, going through the system. So, so that's a part of it that they play their role in knowing, you know, what's going down it, how much water use, laundry, knowing what good practices are, mm -hmm. you know, so those are big things. Yeah, not adjusting the alarm to sit there and suit the household needs because it can only take in so much water. So just because you don't want to hear an alarm, <laughs> make sure you're not using too much water. That, that does cause a lot of damage. Yeah. And then pumping it out when it's time. You know, there's obviously there's different rules of thumb for when to pump. Um, there's some general rules, but you know, I like to make sure that it's being pumped when it's necessary, not too often, not too late, mm -hmm. just right. It's kind of like that porridge, you know? Yeah. You, you want it just right. And, and then you don't know until you look. So part of the maintenance is getting it pumped out when it needs to be. Yeah. So. And during those maintenance, we actually, during the inspections, it's measured the sludge and scum. So we like to present the facts to the homeowner and, and educate them so they can make an educated decision. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for those people who are just kind of getting into this, um, what are the things that are the do's and don'ts of like things that can go down a drain or shouldn't go down a drain and how does that affect the septic system? So I like to try to simplify things where I can. Yeah. Especially for people that don't know about septic. So I like to think of septic in quantity and quality. Okay. So quantity is all about how you use water, space out laundry loads, um, you know, it's, it's all part of what we would call the feeding of the system because septics are a live system. Okay. They have live microorganisms that are breaking down, digesting waste. And so you really need, people don't think about your septic as being a live system, yeah. but, you know, trying to help educate so that people know that, you know, it is a living, breathing system. And so what you put down there can upset the bacteria you know, for the process. Mm -hmm. So, um, so just, you know, educating homeowners on, you know, water use, which is the quantity. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you're not letting the water run. You're not taking, you know, if you have teenagers, which I know this is a difficult thing, but <laughs> you know, you're taking reasonable showers, not running until the hot water runs out. Yes. Um, and then spacing out laundry. And I know that, you know, there's bigger families that laundry's a lot more, you know, um, so necessary doing six loads on the weekend you do one or two loads a day right and then yeah. the quality part of it is is going to be you know how what you're putting into the system meaning you know if sometimes it's unavoidable you've got medications and things that used to be people would flush their extra stuff down the toilet right you know bad idea <laughs> um you know dispose of those properly um, but the, you know, the quality part of it is, you know, um, just making sure that, you know, you're not rinsing off your food particles and using garbage disposals and adding to the organic load of the system. Mm. You know, it doesn't, it's not meant to process garbage disposal waste. Okay. Um, so, so that's a big thing that people just aren't familiar with is if you have a garbage disposal, you know, don't use it. In fact, get rid of it. Have somebody come out and disconnect it so that you don't have a tendency to want to use it. Um, and then just making sure that, you know, that you're scraping off your plates, you're not rinsing any of the fats, oils, and greases and things that you cook with into yeah. the system. Because um, all those things just 
little by little over time build up and add up to you know problems especially if somebody isn't actually actively maintaining it and keeping an eye on it right yeah and i, I and some of the stuff i've heard a little bit here and there just from working with septic systems and being within them um but <clears throat> i've heard that milks are also rough on septic systems as well is that true like dairy products things like that yeah, I mean, again, you're you're going to have anything really in moderation, you know, not in excess. You can have too much water. You know, water could be a problem, mm -hmm. and water is necessary for the dilution, but you know, too much of it is a problem. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, milk, dairy products, those things like that. They're you know, again, normal. Um, you know, just living is okay, but you know, any myths about add additional anything is just not appropriate or necessary. Yeah. I think the um, funniest one I heard was, I need to feed my septic a pound of hamburger every week. I, I don't know. I don't know where they wow. got it, but that's what they said. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some myths out there that eventually, you know, that we'll, we'll do our own podcast on myth-busting yeah, septics. Yeah, it'll so. be fun. That'd be great. Um, the, another question I have then, um, because I think people deal with this if they're trying to, you know, if they're clean freaks or whatever, uh, but they're trying to maintain the health of their pipes. So then there's all the pipe cleaners and things like that. And all of them say, this is safe for septic. Well, of course. What's your guys' kind of view on this? <laughs> you can add or I'll add to what you say. Yeah, so again, it's, you know, anything that may be deemed septic safe, um, you know, you really kind of want to look for things that are biodegradable. Um, those are probably the best of things to use. Um, septic safe is... You know, I'm a little skeptical on septic safe <laughs> stuff because there's there's wipes that they say are septic safe and those wipes will clog things up. Everything. And they clog your pump hoses. We, you know, So, you know, we don't believe everything. Now, pipe cleaners and those things, those are generally, you, it's hard to find things that are really environmentally friendly mm -hmm. that are as effective. There are other remedies. You can use, obviously, um, vinegars and other things that you can use more natural products, which is the best, yeah. as opposed to chemical cleaners and things like that that can disrupt you know, the biology of things that's going on in the tank that's important. So, um, so no additives whatsoever. It should be just natural. You know, um, It's set up to do its own job. Yep, it is. Like you said, it's a living, breathing system that naturally has the enough bugs and bacteria that comes just from everyday use mm -hmm. of using the toilets and stuff that there's more billions that you don't need to add to it. Yeah. So what I get in the office, because he's a technician and I've worked in the office, and what I get is, you know, how much bleach can I put down? Again, you know, minimal every now and then, not a big deal. But if you're using it in your laundry all the time, that's when you start to see the problems. The other thing that I've gotten a call on is you know, understanding why the septic has changed color or somebody's going through chemo. So we'll discuss, okay, what are the options? When are you done? Let's go ahead and pump that out when you're completed so then it can kind of restart. Yeah. Yeah. Things that people don't think about. Yeah. Yeah, that's one actually I, I hadn't thought about if someone's going through chemo and, and kind of getting through that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, so can you explain in layman's terms kind of how does a septic system work? So a septic system is just a way to treat and then dispose of wastewater. Mm -hmm. So um, basically everything from the house goes through the plumbing and it empties out into a septic tank. Okay. 
And there, nowadays, there's many variations of septic systems, from gravity to very complex moving parts and ultraviolet lights and aerators. And, um, but essentially, all the waste comes from the house into a septic tank. And then from there, we would call that the pretreatment component, which is it's allowing certain digestion to happen. And then from there, the solids get retained mm -hmm. and then eventually get pumped out when it's time. And then the liquid we call effluent then exits the septic tank, heads down to some other component, whether it be a pump tank, a D-box, or even to the drain field. And then the drain field is the final treatment component, okay. um, which just basically is your soil, microorganisms, and you know just the way the structure of the soil is determines basically your system type. But that's where the final disposal is. And then eventually all that effluent that goes there and has been treated through the soil and the microorganisms that fin finish breaking it down, that eventually hits our waterways. That ends up hitting aquifers, water tables, water wells. That's why there's setback requirements because we don't want contamination to occur. Right. So eventually it's just that full cycle. It hits the water and then you end up drinking the water, right? Mm -hmm. But it's after purification of everything else that happens, obviously yeah. through the natural pr purification process. But... So one thing I want to add is, you know, you mentioned about how it's going through and where the solids settle. Um, one thing to think about as a new homeowner that you're not thinking about coming from somewhere else is those large bathtubs. You want to go take a big, giant bath at the end of the day. Well, let's say you do this a few times a week. You're going to overload your septic by throwing it out to the septic all at once, so oh. when you drain that bathtub. And then the solids don't settle, and then the solids are now being pushed out to the drain field that eventually will clog that you didn't need to have out there, that type of thing. Wow, okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one of the thoughts that might come up for people that are, are new to this is, is the ground around where the septic field is, is that safe? Is that, is, there, is it, yeah, is it safe for like if kids are running around and stuff like that? Yeah, everything should be subsurface, you know, the, the drain field, um, subsurface, all the components, subsurface, the effluent, everything that's being treated. So everything should remain underground. Mm -hmm. There are some systems that are built on top of the ground and they add additional um, sand or some sort of a media to treat it before it gets into the soil. Um, but generally the majority of systems are subsurface, um, which means there's gonna be grass over there um, in some cases, weeds, if people don't have lawn, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, but essentially, yeah, it's everything's covered. You can play on it, walk on it, ride, you know, the lawn mowers, and you can do those things without any concern of, you know, health safety concerns yeah. and, and contamination or anything. But, you know, but part of it is, is the maintenance to know when things aren't maybe working like they should to be able to take, you know, action before it surfaces and yeah. then that potential, you know, health hazard contact, but. You definitely don't want to um, plant like veggie gardens directly over your system. Okay, yeah. You have that separate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you mentioned like being understanding enough that you can kind of understand when things are going off. What are some of the signs that maybe something's a little off with your septic system and you should have checked out? So probably nowadays the biggest thing is alarms. Okay. Um, the alarm is there for a reason <laughs> and you know, it's, it, it's common for people to silence the alarm because often the alarm will occur in the middle of the night. People go back to bed, then they forget about it. Yeah. And life happens, right? They go back to work, you know, they totally get up and they forget about it until you end up with a gurgling toilet. 
you know, something, a slow drain. Calling us um, on Christmas Eve, I have a backup. <laughs> <laughs> so you will definitely get signs of, you know, slow drains, gurgling toilets, you'll get an alarm. Um, those are kind of the component failures, things that could be happening and going on there. Um, so the alarm is the early warning system. And then in the drain field area, you can get things, you can get weird grass growth. You can get, you know, because you're getting extra nutrients to the root source of the, you know, plants and grass and those things really thrive. Yeah. And so you could end up seeing that, wow, my grass is really green and lush in an area. So um, that might be something to possibly be concerned with, not necessarily, but it, something should be checked. Um, or you could get squishiness, you could get some sogginess mm -hmm. that, you know, drain fields generally should be firm. You okay. shouldn't walk around and have anything squishy or soggy. So those are all things that you definitely should at least call somebody to come and have a look at it if those things are happening. And in the yeah. office, what I would get is I'm getting a certain smell or it's squishy over there or it's muddy. You know, those are common threads that I would get for phone calls. Yeah, odors for sure. Yeah. We'll be right back to this episode after a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Welcome to Camino Island podcast is sponsored by the Camino Voice podcast. If you are interested in a long-form podcast where I interview business owners, musicians, and more, join me every Tuesday for new episodes where I dive deep into the background of people in the Northwest. You can find the Camino Voice podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or by going to our website, CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. That's CaminoCommons.com slash podcast. All right, and back to the show. Yeah, yeah. We definitely had that at one of our houses. That like there was a piece of grass that always like it would be brown everywhere, but that spot would be so lush and green. Yeah. And like, <laughs> oh, that's what it says. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so another question on alarms. Then, um, a lot of times we'll get now we have a commercial septic system, um, but a lot of times we'll get alarms start going off when it starts raining or you get a really heavy rain. Uh, can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, so I think um, short of the number one reason systems fail is lack of maintenance. Number two is going to be you've got an overload, water overload. It's going to be groundwater infiltration, um, and potentially it could be overload from the house, but less likely. It's going to be water's getting in somewhere that it shouldn't. Okay. Uh, the system is designed to treat household waste, and that's it. Yeah. Not roof drains, not surface water runoff, not subsurface water, water tables getting into the system. It's not designed to treat that additional load. Okay. So whenever you get an alarm, especially around rain events, that's because water's getting in somewhere that it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think with the right maintenance and, you know, actions taken that systems really should last for a lifetime. Yeah. If properly maintained and serviced by people who know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, but again, the alarm and rain events indicates that water's getting in, in from somewhere, and that should be investigated on where that is. You know, older systems, more likely things aren't sealed, lids aren't sealed properly, mm -hmm. um, tank lids don't, you know, aren't watertight um, as well as they should be, especially after time. Roots yeah. penetrate and get in, roots can be a problem. Um, and create pathways for water. So, yeah, so alarms and rain, it's an indicator, okay. right? So it should be acted upon by call somebody and have them come out and take a look at it. Yeah. One thing I'd like to add and on the office side is another one we get is 
it's either raining or it's not raining and my alarm's going off and as I ask questions, they have a running toilet. Yes. It is amazing the load that you put on it with a running toilet. You just think it's running a couple drips there. It's hundreds of gallons a day. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what we would always do. In our complex, when we would get, uh, you know, septic alarms going, the first thing my dad would do is send myself or one of our team members and go, say, go to every toilet in all of the buildings. One of them is running. And yes. almost always it was, you know, the one in the back closet that, like, no one goes to. And, and it's just, just very lightly running. And, yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. Very cool. So another question is, um, obviously, we, we live in this age where you can get toilet paper of all sorts of different varying things. Um, what are the ones that you guys suggest that are easiest on septic systems? I'll let you start. But we did do an experiment, so I'd like to add. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so one thing that I think is important that um, there's brands. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you say Kleenex, it, not everything that is a Kleenex is a Kleenex, right? Yeah. It's different brands. Um, toilet paper, we had discovered that um, toilet paper and brands, um, un unfortunately, there was a, a you know, kind of got a bad rap with particular brands uh, only because COVID hit and then more people were home yeah. using a lot more of the facilities because they're not at work any, right? right. So, so the system's got a heavier use. So then brands kind of got a bad rap on what brand are you using, you know, and the brand got labeled as the problem when in yeah. fact it was just an additional use, yeah. right, that we're clogging things. So, um, so we are careful not to, you know, really say one's bad over another. Um, however, the ones, toilet papers that break down, you know, easier are better um, because they have a less likely to clog baffles and the filters, um, and you know, so they so they could break down quicker. But you know, I know that there's we had a really big problem with um, a toilet paper that didn't seem to break down at all. Um, you know, after a week period of time, the toilet paper was still pretty intact. And you know, Kirkland brand, you know, was one of the brands that caused a lot of issues during COVID. Okay. Um, it was clogging baffles. So we. Everybody we would ask when there was a clog and we would go out there, would ask them, hey, what brand of toilet paper are you using? Yeah. Kirkland. And it was, it was the common denominator of all these issues that were happening um, was Kirkland brand. And, and I don't know if it's a quantity buy thing. You know, that I would like to add to that. It may not be the brand itself, but it may be, you know, we live next to Costco. So how many people are using that brand because it's available on the price? And then having everybody home and you have more family members, more use, and I don't know why, even if there was two people in, they just seem to use more during COVID. <laughs> <laughs> but it comes back to the quantity and quality thing. Yeah. You know, if it's just normal everyday living, then generally if the system is being just maintained, you, brand doesn't become the issue, right. right? It just becomes quantity. How much is being used and how often is it being looked at and pumped out when it's necessary? Because if you wait on anything for too long, it's just <clears throat> it's going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, so. And that's what we saw in our experiment. We we chose three of the main brands that are used around here. We, yeah. we use little mason jars. We <laughs> filled it with water and we kind of move it around a little bit. And they did all break down. And what we did notice, I think that it's going to be the quantity because the more you put in, the less it has a chance of breaking down. Yeah. Well, and one of the questions with that then is. 
you know, there's different, all the different brands, but then there's like, even certain brands will have like a triple ply, one ply, single ply. Um, did you guys see a difference in that? Or was it, again, just the quantity used in that? Because like, if you're using, like the triple ply, maybe you're only using four squares per, you know, right. usage versus a one ply, you're gonna grab the whole roll and fling it. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I think we did try um, single up to triple ply, you know, of toilet paper and, and do the air experiments and stuff. And again, they all ended up, whether it be Scott's or Charmin, or, I mean, they all, you know, broke down um, over time. But, you know, I think it was essentially it ended up just being giving adequate time for the process to occur. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a septic tank should have at least one to two days of retention time of what comes in and then what goes out. Okay. So, and that retention time is important so that stuff can break down yeah. um, and then dissolve and those things happen. But when there's too much water coming in and it doesn't have time to break down, water infiltration's a problem. Yeah. It kind of pushes things towards the outlet and so it starts clogging things downstream or the filters. But yeah, so I think that, you know, quantity is important, but um, you definitely have to um, know what's going through the system um, and, you know, <clears throat> giving it time to be able to break down. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Um, so with that, what about for soaps, detergents, you know, again, these things that we use on a daily basis, are there certain brands or types of soaps that you would say are easier on septic systems? Yeah, I know the big thing is antimicrobial stuff, right, in the soaps and killing all the germs and bugs, which great for your hands, not great for the system, <laughs> right? We, again, a the septic is a living, breathing system. Yep. And so what it's doing with the bacteria and germs and stuff on your hands is doing the same thing that organisms in the tank, right? It's so, but it comes down to quantity, yeah. you know, how much, and um, you know, there are biodegradable options that are there, but just about everything now has, you know, some sort of antimicrobial stuff in it, right? So yeah. to, to kill, especially with COVID, yeah. big deal, right? So we're, so we understand that. Again, it just comes down to, is somebody looking at it and, when things are not healthy in a septic tank, it's obvious. Stuff is dead, r coloration, odors, all those things are indicators, but you don't know if you don't look. Mm -hmm. So um, a healthy system really should have an earthy brown. It should, s I know it sounds weird, but it should smell healthy, you know, um, more of an earthy type odor as opposed to pungent and yeah. you know um and the colors are indicators but again you don't know if you don't look and then once you see it then you start having conversations with you know whoever's using the system yeah. you know what kind are you using and brands and quantities and those things to kind of identify what could potentially be killing off the bacteria yeah that you don't want the one thing that i would get in phone calls and as i was asking my question to try and diagnose um, the difference between liquid and powdered detergents. The yeah. powdered detergents did cause issues. Powdered, okay. Yeah, anything that would be a high, um, we would call it, you know, a high foaming type detergent. High foaming detergents are problematic because they build up and they collect and they solidify in baffles and things and they can harden up. Yeah. Um, and then those hardened, you know, we, I, I like to think it is a hardened artery. It's like cholesterol, right? So yeah. it just keeps building up, building up to eventually nothing can pass through and then it backs up yeah. and then it's back in the house where you don't want it. when somebody flushes the toilet at midnight and then all of a sudden you have septic in the shower. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, we've had all levels of that within our business at different times and it's, yeah, you're terrified. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so going back to drain fields then and stuff, 
when people, when they're buying houses stuff here on the island, most of them already have their drain field and all that thing set up. Um, when they kind of look at their drain field and stuff, trees or things in the area, what are things that people should be aware of um, as far as for the long term longevity of their septic field? What's growing on their septic, especially the drain field? What's covering the septic for access? Like a lot of people do a lot of bushes, but it's growing over the lid, so when your technician comes, they can't get to it. Mm -hmm. um, what else would you like to add? Yeah, long, longevity. Obviously, um, roots are problematic. Yeah. Uh, there are, and it can, doesn't just have to be trees. You can have shrubs, you can have bushes, you can have, you know, vine maples, you can have bamboo, you can have other things that are really invasive. Yeah. That's not a, you know, a tree. Um, people think just big trees are a problem, but deep-rooted plants are problematic that are around um, access points, the drain field, because there's generally pipes and they will seek out, especially in the summer months when it's drier, yeah. they will seek out that water source and then they'll, you know, once they find a way and a find a way in, they will cause havoc. But it doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow process that usually takes 10 to 15 years for roots to do enough damage to start causing backups, you know, alarm things start happening, but it usually takes quite a while for the roots to, you know, develop. Yeah. Um, and at that point, it's almost too late. You'd end up replacing systems as opposed to, you know, realizing that, you know, you can tell on certain inspections when roots are becoming a problem. If it's starting to develop, just different flow tests happen. Yeah. And you get different flow rates and you start wondering and then you're looking around. But usually deep-rooted plants or anything else, we like to be not be over the drain field and at least 30 feet away. Okay. Awesome. So I do have something to add to that. Yeah. So when buying a home, what I've seen on my side in the office happen is we're a very upfront company. We, we're not based on sales or anything, but we'll list the facts of what's there. So that way people, again, can make an educated decision on do they want to let this buyer know what's there and they can decide to take as is, do they want to fix it, who's paying for it, all those decisions. But when, let's say, an agent or a seller is like, I don't want you to ruin my sale, um, we still list the facts. And what has happened in the past is they will go hire somebody else. Now, it is public record, those inspections. Mm. So don't take the last inspection. Okay. Because often people will hire somebody who might be not looking at the fine details. Yeah. Um, and then the previous inspections may indicate some type of pattern. Okay. So you would see, let's say, oh, somebody did one in April, somebody did in May. Is it different? Oh, did they hire a different company? And let's look at the last three years of inspections. Yeah. That'll give you a good indication in the comment section if there was any issues that you should be concerned about. Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. And you can get that from the county. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, just because there, it's something that you're, it's brand new to most people that are moving to the island. And so. Yeah, that, that really is a good point that they do have resources to homeowners with a septic system. Yeah. Right. There's a lot of resources and a lot of it is online. You can access it quickly um, and look at the history of the system. If you're new, look at the house. If it's a house that's been lived in before, look and see what the history is for maintenance. It's like buying a car. Yep. How many oil changes has, ha you know, has it had in the last 10 years? Yep. Um, and that'll give you an indicator of what you could expect from the system going forward and the longevity of it. Um, but definitely pull the records and look at the history to see, you know, how it's been taken care of. Yeah. I think what made me kind of chuckle is the phone calls I would get of, 
well, we had it looked at seven years ago, and I'm thinking, would you drive your car seven years without an oil change and expect no problems? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very good. All right. Um, the, the other question I want to ask um, uh, is about uh, perkability. Mm -hmm. I, I know that's a term thrown around in the septic world. What does that mean, and how, how are there, what are the steps for people if they do or don't have perkability? So everything, at least here in Washington, everything um, starts at the state level of what's perkable and what they deem as soil that's perkable. Um, and then it goes into the county that then either can make it more strict um, than the state. But perkability is just, you know, as it gets the disposal area that's now um, going to be receiving the effluent from the house, the mm -hmm. wastewater. So as it receives that, it needs to be able to drain. Yeah. And so perkability is about how well does the soil drain. Okay. And, does it drain too fast? And, right. Is, is it a um, gravelly soil down to a clay soil? And there's parameters about perkability. There is some soil that is just um, clay yeah. that doesn't meet perkability. It's, there's, it doesn't perk at all. And if it doesn't perk, you can't get a septic system. Yeah. There is no magic pill for, for lots that don't perk or properties that don't perk. Um, there are new technologies, but there's still a rule requirement that you have to at least have 12 inches of vertical, good, perkable soil to get any kind of a system. So, but perkability is just how well it's going to drain after it receives the effluent from the house. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and then can you tell us a little bit about the classes that you guys offer in Biotech? Sure. That's our, um, we call it on septic, and it is... Um, classes from basic to advanced and it was really when we built our facility we built it with a training room to be able to bring in and educate we do it for employee training it's where we do all of our training in-house and then we also do it so that we could bring in the public whether it be realtors homeowners anybody with a septic system doesn't really the county I and mean, we invite everybody it doesn't matter it just it's all about education mm -hmm. and so um, classes on when to pump what happens when my alarm goes off, um, landscaping around my septic. Yeah. And so classes that help, really it just is help giving people guidance on how to take care of their system, the do's and don'ts, um, who to call. Um, often there's a misunderstanding about if you get an alarm, call a pumper. Mm -hmm. And my tank needs pumped. And, you know, and that really isn't true. Really, the alarm goes off. The pumper shouldn't be the first person you call because they show up with a pump truck. Generally, they're going to pump it, right. even if it needs it or not, yeah. right? So um, just things that just help people know who should do what and at what time and frequency and what the state laws are, what the county requirements are, and just education. You know, it's a big part of resources, water resources, and our food that we get, you know, shellfish. All those things are impacted by septic systems that are either working or not working. Yeah. And so it's important to just educate them, you know, how to take care of it. Yeah. Very cool. Well, awesome. Um, cool. Do you guys have, so in closing, do you guys have any guests that you would suggest for the Welcome to Clean Online podcast? Yeah, I, I would say um, really county, you know, um, realtors. Um, I think I wrote down county realtors. Um, anybody with the history of the island um, about, you know, the way things 
there's a lot of changes that have occurred. You know, we've only been here since 2000, but you know, but there are a lot of things that have occurred. So just anybody who knows the history, um, you know, anybody that is, can speak to resources, whether it be water or shellfish or other things that, mm -hmm. you know, aren't necessarily well known, but. Oh, another thing, since I'm a part of them, is um, the Marine Mammal Stranding Network, because we do have a lot of um, mammals and things out there, and of course during the spring and stuff, the seals and stuff come up on the beach, and that's a good question yeah. to get answered. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you guys so much for coming out and jumping on the podcast with me today. Yeah, thank pleasure. You. Enjoyed okay. it. Thank you. And Islanders, we'll talk to you on the next one. Thank you for listening to the Welcome to Kamano Island podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thanks again to our sponsor, the Kamano Voice, for sponsoring today's episode. If you have any questions about today's topic or have any topic suggestions, please email us at thechamber at kamanoisland.org. And as always, subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. That's all for today, Islanders. See you next time.